Hello, neighbors. I am Manda O'Fox Gillespie, and I welcome you to Folk University's Friday Folk You Talk Show on CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Community Radio and on the web at CortezRadio.ca. You can get all the past shows both on CortezRadio.ca as well as CortezCurrents.ca. And this entire month, we have been doing a special partnership with Friends of Cortez Island, also called Folk Eye, Folk You, Folk Eye, called Nature is Good for You. And all of these special shows are on their beautiful website, friendsofcortez.org. Ever wondered what Folk University is? It is an experiment in slow learning. It is a question. Can we create a more resilient and enjoyable community simply by sharing what we already know with each other? Folk University is an opportunity for neighbors to share our ideas, our interests, our skills, and our passions. And it is the only university where nobody ever graduates. Today, on Folk University's Folk You Talk Show, I am delighted to have Helen Hall, the Executive Director of FolkEye. As I said before, that's Friends of Cortez Island. She will tell you more about herself and why nature is good for you is truer than you may think. Welcome, Helen. Great to be here. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. And as people may have been able to tell from your accent, they might be able to gather that you did not, you were not born on Cortez. So tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came to run the Friends of Cortez Island, living deeply immersed in nature, and why the topic is so close to your heart. Yes. Um, well, firstly, thanks for inviting me, Mandra. It's great to be on the program, and thanks for running our um, Nature is Good View uh, series with Foci. It's been really fun getting that together, and there's been some great programs, so thanks for that. Yes, um, my background, um, basically, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the subject of um the benefit of nature to people and that's come you know it's a lifelong passion really and it inspired me in my work and yes you're right I came from the UK from a big city Bristol in the UK with 600,000 people to this little tiny island in Canada with only a thousand people so it's been a big change and what I used to do in um, Bristol I used to work as an urban ecologist so basically doing urban nature conservation in the city and it was a, it's a very interesting field. And when I got into it, it was just at its beginning. So it was very interesting. And um, it was also quite innovative. People didn't really expect to have nature in the city. And the whole concept behind it was, one, celebrating that we do have nature in the city, but two, very importantly, that nature is important for people. And that's something I've always been fascinated in. And um, as the movement got going, um, we had to try and get recognition you know with local municipalities with planners and so on and so people had to argue make arguments for urban conservation and one of them was yes nature is important in cities yes there are places which are great for nature you know even if it's an old railway line it can be great for nature but you know we also get bits of uh, countryside caught in cities so it can be important um, just from having really natural habitats too but also that um, nature was you know really important for people and so that generated quite a lot of research in that field and it was all about psychological benefits and health benefits and it's always just really fascinated me and I guess um, my passion has always been about people and wildlife and um, 
I've always always been inspired just seeing uh, the benefits of that to people, whether, you know, working in the inner city, seeing inner city communities just enjoying nature on their doorstep, even if that is an old bit of old railway embankment, or, you know, here on Cortez, taking kids out on our gumboot in the lagoon events and seeing them getting really excited about moon snails. So, yeah, it's, it is my passion. Thank you. I love that. Um, you may not know this, and probably most of our listeners don't, but my background is also in urban ecological design. Ah. Um, and that's how I started my career, running one of the first urban eco-villages and things like that. And back then, um, which was not that so long ago, we would refer to this as community and ecological design. Um, but now I've been hearing a new buzz phrase, uh, which I like even better, which is biophilic design or biophilia. Can you tell us a little bit more what this means? Yeah, biophilia is um, basically means our love of nature. And it really is about people's innate attraction to nature. And it was the, the term was coined by a, a researcher called E.O. Wilson. And basically, he believed that humans were basically hardwired through evolution to hold an emotional and psychological attachment to nature. And it's due to that, this fact that when we're close to nature, we feel positive and we feel happy. It's actually innate in us. And he also was he also found or was basically his theory was also that if you take people out of nature, it's not good for them. It's not good for their well-being. And it has, you know, it has a negative impact on on people. So that one piece of research, biophilia, did actually generate a whole load of uh, whole movement, really, for trying to get nature closer to people in cities, particularly um and yeah and that that also then has led on to biophiliac design which is basically trying to get nature closer to people whether that's through designing a landscape an outdoor landscape to make it richer for wildlife or even green buildings like putting green roofs on buildings or green walls so yeah it's a really interesting field and you probably know as much about it as i do <laughs> um E.O. Wilson is one of my um, all-time heroes, and uh, if if so, if you listener have never run across um, him before, he's a beautiful writer as well as researcher and biologist, and has won tons of awards. Um, and he talks a lot about this time of the sixth great extinction that we're in as the Eremocene, and about so it's the time of loneliness. And in part because of the the huge amount of extinctions that are happening. And so he's, he worries that the world that we're going to inhabit one day is going to have no wildness left in it. It will be about people and, and the animals and places that we've domesticated. So the jellyfish and the, you know, and the rows of, you know, and the cows. Um, and I always just think what a kind of shudder um, to think about what a lonely place that would be, right? Um, and this idea of loneliness. So so look up E.O. Wilson and and talk a little bit about this, like the healing power. You have a lot of research, I know, on some of the healing powers of nature, but also of wildness. Yes, I can definitely talk about that. And um, uh, just going back to biophiliac design, there's all sorts of things, as I said, that people have done from, you know, amazing things with that. So, yes, if people want to look that up and what, what that is, you know, it's a really fascinating subject. Yeah, in terms of the the classic piece of research on... Um, uh, he, why you know uh, healing uh, and nature and the value of that the, the classic one is a study that was carried out um, in hospital that uh, and it basically looked into the fact that people in hospitals um, uh, 
would recover more quickly from surgery if they were looking at a natural view compared to if they were just looking out at a wall, a brick wall. And there's a researcher called Ulrich who discovered that patients recovering from abdominal surgery basically um, recovered more quickly um, and were able to um, basically get, you know, recover more quickly and get home more quickly and that they also... Um, required less medication so that that connection with nature when you're ill and you're looking at nature, even just looking at it not being in it has that impact of helping people to recover and heal people he even found that people who'd had heart surgery um, even if they just looked at um, pictures of water and nature also recovered more quickly from their surgery had less anxiety and needed less pain medication so that's pretty amazing really so that's a really straightforward one of Know how nature can help us heal. Love that, um, and <laughs> I, Helen sent me her notes, so I happen to know that she's got lots and lots of like really wonderful examples. Do you have more examples you'd like to give us right now, or um, yeah, you want to save them for later? Uh, no, it's fine. I can just give you one other one, which kind of you know it's a very simple one to look at. Is actually you know you've got people in hospitals recovering from uh, surgery better by looking at nature but actually people working too um, uh, having nature having a, a window which looks onto a natural view again instead of just the built environment is great for people who are working it makes them um, less stressed um, have less uh, sick days makes them more positive there's a whole range of benefits there and I personally know that from I used to when I lived in Bristol I actually did have an office looking at a brick wall and which had bars on the window so it was pretty grim and you know, the, the you never felt well in that environment. And now I have a fantastic view, luckily, right now of the ocean. So it's completely different. It does, you know, it's, it's obvious, really, but it makes you feel that much better. And it has all sorts of proven uh, benefits for us. My way back when, <laughs> when I worked in ecological design, my um, husband did green building work and um and in the green building movement we love to talk about um the the cost benefits of a lot of of building nature into our buildings and building um our buildings so that they respond to nature and i remember uh, one study also looking at um if you had sunlight that actually came in windows versus artificial lights, the fewer sick days people would have. Um, and also if you had operable windows, if people could have access to fresh air and just know that they could even have access to fresh air, they're willing to deal with a much greater um, temperature differential and still be like feel that they were comfortable than if they knew that they could not open the windows. So I, I love that there's all these things that sort of can prove to us that there is a benefit to building for nature. But have you found in your own life that even in a place like Cortez, um, that you notice a difference if you are like out in nature every day, or if you're looking out um, on nature versus when you're like working in, you know, your barn, or that's where my work is. So maybe not everybody works in their barn. But if you're kind of closed away from it. Yeah, definitely. And um, I'm going to probably talk about this a little bit, a little bit later on. But um, I've definitely since COVID's hit, I've been working at home. And I've been trying to have it partly inspired by all this research I've been doing for this interview. I've been uh, trying to go for a walk every day in the forest and really get kind of getting absorbed in the forest and taking things slowly and looking at all the birds and all the different colors and it's a fantastic time of year right now lots of 
with new greenery coming out. You know, they've got salmonberry flowers, which I've never noticed before, I have to admit, um, you know, coming out. And there's a whole, you know, it just makes you feel good. And it's a really good way of getting de-stressed. You know, um, there's lots of research showing, showing that, that, you know, being particularly in forests can really help relieve stress, make you feel better. And it works. The more you get absorbed in nature, the more you kind of um, do that, the better it feels. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing. It's because of Helen that I um, had to wake up early multiple times to record the Dawn Chorus for an earlier show. Um, and um, and it really has inspired and changed my habits. Now I'm just more aware of, of, of this magical time of day, but also of all these birds and this sort of how incredible it feels to just tune in to something that is not my own inner thoughts or not some man-made music or whatever and so you know it's always been there it's not like you made it happen it's just because of you sharing how much you've been appreciating that practice that I took the time to sort of do it and tuned into it in a different way yeah that's great to hear and I think it is interesting living somewhere it's it is interesting living somewhere where you've kind of got nature all around you and you can kind of blank out from that and not really take it on board. And it is worth, worth making this extra effort to kind of absorb yourself in nature, listen to the dawn chorus, go for a walk, really watch nature because that, that, it is very beneficial. And it's funny, having lived in a big city, I was always feeling starved of nature. So I would always be looking for it and getting excited when I saw it. And now I'm living here. It's not, you know, you have to be careful you don't switch off from it almost. It's almost the opposite. It's kind of, it's an interesting phenomenon really working in two different places like that or living in two different places like that. Yeah, yeah, I I, I feel that too. Um, so you were just hit it, talked about it a little bit, um, but next week we're doing, um, as part of this series, uh, a whole session on forest bathing. Um can you tell us just a little bit more about what that is and why people are going to want to tune into yeah. an entire uh, episode yeah, just this, on it? This is a really interesting subject. Basically, like I've been saying, you know, forests are a particularly good place to be, I guess, because you're completely absorbed in nature. It's above you. It's all around you. And there's lots of research that shows that, you know, going for a walk in a forest can reduce your blood pressure. Um, it can help reduce, um, st you know, stress related hormones like cortisol and adrenaline. Um, it could do a lot to relieve anxiety if you're feeling depressed it can lift your mood it can help you relieve fatigue there's a whole range of benefits that have been um, researched and um, basically in Japan they they've recognized this and they've actually given it a term and I'm not sure I'm going to get the pronunciation right but they call it Shinrin Yuko I think or Yoko I'm not quite sure I'm sure Sobana next week will tell us how to say that but basically it means taking in the forest atmosphere or forest bathing and um, basically they actually actively encourage people to visit forests to relieve stress and to improve their health and they see forests as therapeutic landscapes uh, it's basically like a mindful way of being in a forest, like I've described, really getting yourself absorbed in the forest. And yes, we're very, very lucky next week we're going to have Sobana come in and talking all about this. She's a certified forest um, therapy guide. And uh, she's also been spending some time pulling together a guided uh, walk that um, we will have on our website and it's going to be on um, uh, CKTZ and um, people will be able to download it and hopefully go for a walk and have their own guided a forest therapy walk which i i'm really looking forward to trying out 
Me too. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know why. It's like, I think it's back to what you were talking about earlier. It's how, how when, you know, growing up and for most of my life, because I lived in cities, it was such effort often to get into nature in a meaningful um, uh, or deeper way. And now that it's here, I realize I don't always have the habits of tuning into it in the way that I want to particularly, and it's so immediately um, changes how I feel. Uh, so I, I'm so like, as I probably would never take a course in forest bathing, but the idea that I, I have to like kind of know more about it so that I can do this radio show has gotten me really excited. Um, so thank you for. Yeah, no, I think that that's going to be fabulous. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to trying it out. It's going to be really good, uh, a good thing for everyone to go and experiment with. Well, do you have um, any other little bits of facts or things like that that you would like to throw in about forest bathing before we have our first music break? Oh, I don't think so, apart from just encouraging everyone to try it when they can uh, hopefully download this uh, guided uh, walk. All right, so we will have um, a moment to get to listen to a little bit of music. You, if you've just tuned in, are listening to Folk University's Friday Folk You Talk Show. We are lucky to have Helen Hall, the executive director of Friends of Cortez Island here today. As part of our Nature is Good for You series, you are listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio. And you will hopefully get some music now. This is the Pliocene by Cosmo Sheldrake. So temporary, got lost in between Here we go again, we go again Here we go again The saraband, the waltz and the jig with the sea We danced with our heads on We couldn't wake up from our Here we go again. 
like a butterfly So flattery on what will we mean? That myth again That all of this is but a machine Here we go again Here we go again Welcome back, neighbor. Thank you for tuning in to CKTZ 89.5 FM. This is Friday's Folk You Talk Show on CK... Oh, well, I guess I said on CKTZ. You probably can remember that from one second ago. We are lucky to have with us the... Um, executive director of Friends of Cortez Island. Uh, and together we have been doing a Nature is Good for You series. And we are learning, we're going a little deeper into this idea of nature being good for you and how it is actually good for you and what the research says about that. So, um, Helen, talk to us a little bit more about um, some of the research that you've seen around um, the ways that nature helps with mental fatigue. I, I, I've like, since the COVID times have happened, my personal like mental fatigue from Zoom, <laughs> it's both like more efficient, right? Because you can have like 13 meetings in one day. And then by the end of the day, I feel if I have to be on the computer and having conversations and interactions like with one more person that is on the computer i i often just feel like i'm at a level of exhaustion that seems um you know irretrievable so talk to us about what we can how nature can help us through that yes i, I know that feeling manda and i it basically yeah if you're looking at a computer screen for a long time you get mentally fatigued if you're you know, focused on different tasks for a long time whatever that may be in your busy lives you get mentally fatigued you're tired and um and of course, spending time in nature can help with that. And just looking at birds and um, you know, looking at the view or going down to the beach all helps with that. And it helps us to recover from mental fatigue. And uh, there is a theory behind this and there is some research behind this. And basically, if you're focused a lot on one thing, like looking at your computer screen, it's actually called directed attention fatigue. So basically, your, 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 your attention is very directed and that is what causes you fatigue. Now, if you go out, like I was saying, into the forest or onto the beach and you observe slow movements like um, the ripples of water or maybe the clouds moving across the sky or maybe a bird or maybe the leaves moving, that's actually very good for our brains. That that um, sort of distracts us a little bit, but not a lot. And it's um, it's called it's actually called soft fascination. So it's kind of a good term. It's like looking at something softly and it fascinates us because there's lots of things to look at and we're probably interested in that because of our innate need for nature too so we kind of get naturally absorbed in nature and that can actually really help um, reduce stress and um, you know uh, help us refocus um, and it's also 
uh, the bit of re- research I liked, which kind of explained this, it's quite hard to explain it, but basically said it's like going into default mode. It's a bit like a, you know, you're in default mode and it basically allows you to just allow your brain to wander freely and, and relax. And that mind wandering um, is a really good way of restoring our mental balance and it can help you be uplifted and help us to focus better. So basically... If you are getting stressed out by looking in front, looking at a computer or whatever it is, just go into nature, really, you know, go in there, go into a forest or the beach or whatever and really absorb yourself. Like I was saying before, I've been going into the forest and I found I was experimenting on myself a little bit and I thought, okay, I'll I'll try this out. And if I go into the forest a bit stressed out, so march through the forest, I'm like stressed thinking about things and come out the other end, I kind of feel a little bit better. But if I go in and I really, you know, take it in and smell the different smells and look for birds or just be, wow, look, there's a flower coming out. I come out the other end and I'm completely transformed. So it does work. I have done that little experiment on myself and it works. So, yeah, that's about recovering from mental fatigue. So nature has so many benefits for us. I was I was laughing very hardly, uh, uh, very hard when um, Helen was talking about if you go into the nature and you kind of go in stressed out and just go through and sort of keep thinking about your things. Which and she she did these little motions and it really looks like I often look when I go into nature and I'm really stressed out. I'm like now I'm doing my walk, <laughs> and you know the whole time I'm thinking about the next thing I'm going to do and. Um, and so do you? Uh, I mean, do you find that? you can just get yourself there naturally if you remind yourself to do it or do you have like tricks or habits to help you get into that um, soft fascination? Yeah, I've actually uh, been trying to teach myself to do this because, you know, reading up on this, I thought, well, I'm not really, you know, practicing what I'm reading. And uh, I remember doing a photography course with Richard Truman and he said about doing like a daily meditation, taking your camera and taking pictures of nature as you go and how how that can be really good. So I tried that one day, just taking my camera and really looking at things closely and taking pictures. And that was very good. So I think, yeah, you, you really need to kind of practice it a bit. And I, I'm, I'm guessing when Sobina talks next week about um, forest therapy, that's the kind of thing she's going to be talking about. It's like a mindfulness, a mindful way of being in nature. Even when you talk about it, I start to feel a little bit more relaxed. And it's one of the things that I, um, you know, since the COVID times, um, I, I no longer am walking my child to the school bus every morning and picking her up every afternoon. And, um, because there's no school in case people are wondering why. <laughs> and this is, I mean, one, it's, it's, a, it's a kilometer straight up a hill. Um, and it's sort of a gravel, you know, dirt road type thing, um, like many of us have on Cortez. And I, I also um, am a creative writer. And in multi- many of my essays, this image ends up appearing of sort of me walking to the school bus every day. And when you start talking about this, I think the reason is, is because I'm in that sort of soft um, fascination mode. And I'm just noticing things and the way the sun is and I'm with my child, which gives me these good feelings and I'm in nature and I'm smelling. And it's, you know, day after day, week after week. And it's, it's really calming. And I think it's been a big reason that's been hard for me to be as focused it's hard, been hard for me to be as creative in these changing times because it's been hard for me to make a routine of giving myself that soft focus in nature 
Um, so maybe this will reset my practice. Uh, hopefully it will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you also mentioned to me earlier a little bit of research about smell and nature. Yeah, I found when I was getting myself ready for this interview, I found uh, something about um, the scent of the earth. And it's got a name. and I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce this right, but it, I think it's called petrichor. Basically, that smell after it's rained, you know, when you can smell the earth and you... It's such a lovely smell. Well, apparently that's been found to actually activate brainwaves associated with calmness and relaxation. So, you know, if you get a, a rainy day instead of staying indoors, you know, if you get out there and have sp- smell the earth, you know, that can be good for you. So, you know, and, and again, I've been, you know, it rained the other day and I'm like, wow, yes, that works. You know, it, it does smell amazing. And I must be doing something to my brain because I feel good. Yeah, so that, that that was an interesting little thing that popped up when I was doing a bit of research for this. Will you um, say that word again and spell it for me? I'm going to call it's P-E-T-R-I-C-H-O-R. I'm going to try and say it, but you might get have another way of saying that. Uh, petrichor. I, I'm going to also make sure that this, that your notes are in our program notes so that people can do look that up because I love that idea that that smell has its own name and I wonder if there's do you ever go out then kind of like on a rocky or bluff area on a hot sunny day you know that's there's a smell that I always associate with those places too yeah and I'm sure that is equally as beneficial I'm sure it is um you know I just touched on that piece of research I guess if we dug a bit deeper we'd you know not into the earth but (laughs) into the research we you know we'd probably find all sorts of benefits you know there's so much that's you know it just feels so instinctive that nature is good for us it really does um and I was doing um, that last song was by Cosmo Sheldrake and we uh, Merlin his brother and the, the Sheldrakes come and spend their summers on Cortez um, just released a book about soil and the magical world of sort of the underworld and he talks a little bit about I believe like the smell um, and the kind of magic of the smell of trees ah um, so now you're, we're going to be able to know who listens to the show by who we see sniffing the earth or with their nose pressed up against <laughs> trees yeah, when we so go outside. I think probably using all the senses, you know, uh, looking and listening for birds or listening to the rustle of trees or leaves and smell, you know, and touch. All those senses are important. The more we can use them when we're out, the better it is for us. Um, so... Talk to us a little bit about, I mean, this is a huge chunk. So if you, if I'm asking you these questions too soon, just let me know. But um, talk to us a little bit about nature deficit disorder. I think maybe people out there who have children or grandchildren um, may have heard of the book Last Child in the Woods by Richard, is it Louvre? I think it's Louvre. Yeah. and um, and this idea of nature deficit disorder. What is that? And tell us a little bit more about that research. Yeah, I think um, I read the book some time ago. And um, I remember he basically was saying that kids nowadays are very attached to their computers and attached to video games. And they're indoors a lot. Okay, maybe some of the kids on Cortez aren't so much, but a lot of kids are. And they've just got detached from nature, you know, and, you know, he was saying go back a few decades and kids would be running out around outside. They would be exploring wild places and, you know, there was less concern 
of parents, you know, there's less concern about kids doing that, whereas, whereas kids now are kind of kept very close to home. And so he he's recognised, it's kind of what we've been talking about already, that, that, that there is a um, nature deficit disorder, he called, that um, kids particularly can suffer from this. And that he's also come up with a term which I really like, um, that basically we need more vitamin N, which he basically is saying is the the health benefits of time spent in nature. And so, yeah, kids is, you know, have very, very similar to adults. You know, there's very similar benefits of being in nature. But there's some particular bits of research uh, that have um, that's been been found relating to children. And, for example, one of them is that, you know, particularly in cities where the well, I guess it applies here too. the closer that children are to green spaces, the more likely they are to run around outside and um, more physically active they're going to be and um, the more healthier that that is for them. That's obvious, you know, the nearer that you are to nature. I remember being as a, as a child having a kind of wild space at the top of the road where my parents lived. That You know, we, that's where we played. We played in nature and we used to go out and we used to go collect um, tadpoles. And I think there was a whole generation doing that and that that's changed now so you know kids are suffering this what he's called nature deficit deficit disorder i noticed that even um i mean it's so hugely different on cortez and on um quadra and these sort of rural communities i think uh and when i have uh friends who live in cities who come to visit us they're always like your children can just be gone. They can go out. They can um, live in nature. They can talk to you intelligently about how to be cougar smart and wolf smart and all these um, amazing things. But I also have found it really interesting the way that even though we're here and the world has not changed much um, here on on these little rural islands, right? Yet... I still feel the pressures of the kind of changing world in the city coming here, right? Where I still feel like there's this sort of influence or encouragement towards enrolling kids in more structured activity rather than having them have unstructured time in nature Um, or, you know, oh, they, they, should receive this thing that they can only get on the computer, right? This time, this lesson, this skill, this um, interaction, this whatever. Um, and I, yeah, I, it's one of the things that I I really feel for, for, for the younger generations. And I think I was probably on the cusp of that a little bit. I still, even though I grew up poor and in a city, there was still sort of nothing, for, you know, it was like pre-video game kind of, you know, or the video games weren't good and nobody had computers. And um, so, and and back, you know, the, like you was just sort of like tossed outside. So it might not have been a very high quality nature, but you were outside breathing the air and kind of riding your bikes through the rain kind of thing. And um, I do worry about that. And the, is are there ways back for us? Like, are there ways for us to um get some doses of that even now like you know when we're you know often scared to go outside because it's covid or because it's um because outside feels scarier to us than it used to 
Yeah, I think, I mean, there's lots of things that kids can do in, in the UK. Um, they came up, I think it was like 50, 50 things that children should do before they hit 12 or something like that out in nature. There's there's exa- there's an organisation called the National Trust which came up with that. Go out and do those things. So there's lots of things um, children can do to get out in nature and lots of things parents can encourage their kids to do. And you no, know, we're really lucky on Cortez. We've got the Children's Forest and they're doing some fast, fantastic things. And I know right now they're trying online to try and encourage kids to go out and discover nature nature and really get absorbed in it so there's there's lots of things that kids can do and you know some of the inter- i remember some early research that um, was done was where they found that if kids were playing on fixed play structures and then all that and the same kids were allowed to go and play in nature those kids who went you know if you'd be the comparison the kids who were playing in nature were more creative they you know could um, uh, think better they 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 perform better at school there's a whole range of stuff um so yeah i think kids and nature is really important we're very lucky on cortez where we are and i think there's tons of things we can be doing with kids to get them out and excited about nature too um and you had mentioned something earlier about green schoolyards yeah that this is a really interesting area i mean i think there has been a lot of recognition of the value of nature to children and the value of natural play and that's been going on for at least a decade and um and there's also been a lot of work done on um schoolyards and, and and greening them and there's certainly been a big movement in the uk and i know in canada that you know lots of things have been happening here too and you know with our local school it's great they've got a garden and they've got areas for you know a butterfly border and a bee border and you know some really nice things in a wildlife hedge it's great and basically yeah there's there's been so there's been a lot of research done on the benefits of that and I'm just going to tell you a little bit about some of that. You know, they found that um, that this is some research I found on yesterday. Uh, over 83% of schools reported that better grounds and um, better, you know, managing those grounds better from from a natural, you know, like a nature point of view, whether it's putting in ponds or whatever, led to more active play, better quality of play, more social interaction, and more enjoyment of break time. So those kids going out into a more natural space to pl- play in. Um, or even be taught in, um, really benefited from that. And then interestingly, another very interesting thing, that over the half half of schools also reported less bullying. And um, less, they had, the teachers had to spend less time sorting out playtime issues. It's almost like just by being in a more natural environment, more stimulating environment, that, you know, kids get all these different benefits. Um, they also found that, you know, there, yes, there was improved behaviour and... Um, uh, and, and it's not just when they're outdoors, but when they came back into the classroom. Um, so there was all sorts of things uh, showing how good school grounds can be. Um, and it's kind of obvious again, but I think they, you know, I've seen schools in cities where they're just tarmac. There's nothing. Um, and even putting in, uh, you know, logs and natural kind of play uh, features for kids can be really, really beneficial. And that, you know, that you can go from that to... You know, planting woodlands and putting in ponds and um, putting in all sorts of natural structures in school grounds. So there's an awful lot of um, work in that field. And it's it's I, I I'm hoping that more of this research um, is going to come out and make a difference because even in um, places like BC where we have so much beautiful access to nature, the um, at least in in Vancouver, this was the case, and I don't know if it is here, but the school grounds were no longer funded by the schools um, and the school boards. So the school ground playgrounds were turned over to the parent um, advisory councils to fundraise for. 
um, versus computers and computer upgrades were still paid for. So there was this like, you know, so many of these schools have ended up being heavily invested in computers and computer rooms um, and access to devices for younger and younger kids despite the fact that there's very little research to suggest that young children should even be on um, devices that there's, you know, for, for schooling. Um, and, and, and nevertheless, there's this complete like, oh, we're not going to fund playgrounds anymore. So, um, you know, I think like it becomes really difficult often for the schools to figure out how are they going to do this? Yeah, and that's a great shame because, you know, play playgrounds, you know, all, all the work that's been done on this sh- just shows how incredibly important it is. You know, if you if you just imagine being a small child in a playground with all that you know, green space around you and being able to run through trees, that's much, much more inviting than just having, you know, a schoolyard, which is, you know, just a piece of tarmac. And so it's a great shame, you know, that that's happening. And I think that investment is worth it. There's all these benefits. And also, I think a lot of the movement is about teaching pe- teaching children outside too, taking them out into the, um, the, the, the school field or the schoolyard or whatever it is to, to teach them about nature or teach them about different subjects. And I guess with COVID, you know, that might be something that teachers are going to be wanting to do more. So those, those schools who already have these grounds, you know, there's a, there's a potentially big opportunity there for them. I knew there was a reason that we were lucky to like live out here where where we still have forest around our schools right no one's sort of maybe no one's giving us money but no one's sort of making us cut down the trees either and so I know and there's in the whole movement and I'm not, I'm not an expert on this but there's a whole you know forest school movement and I guess in a way that's what the children's forests on Cortez are doing you know they're getting they're teaching kids in a forest environment and there's all sorts of benefits to that. Yeah, it's a it's a major movement. Um, I know in um, in the cities, this is a big deal. In, in Vancouver, there's multiple schools. There's even a public school now that's doing a forest school, um, and they meet outside every day. Um, and they have sort of shelters for for rainy days and things like that. But but you know, I I, <laughs> I feel like whereas it is perhaps challenging to figure out how you do all the things, you know, how do you get them to sit down and write an essay on a rainy day? But um, there's clearly so many benefits to to doing it that it just seems like, wow, how incredible if we can figure that out. And you're right, this will be one thing that will be to our advantage um, is that with COVID, that we know we're so much safer when we're outside and children it's not very easy to keep them <laughs> physically distant. So if we know that it's a little bit easier and safer when they're outside, all the better. Maybe we can figure out how to do our radio station uh, show that outside. Would be good, wouldn't it? That would be great. <laughs> we, can, we can kind of see nature from here, which is quite good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a window. Uh, Helen can't really see out of it from her, her angle, but I get to look out. <laughs> Um, um, and yeah, this is one of the things too that I feel like us grown-ups are also doing more of, which is if we're not on Zoom, which more, I think we're increasingly <laughs> getting very unhappy with, then the other option is to go outside and to have a meeting six feet apart, which I've done some of. And I have found um, maybe they're not, they don't feel as much like meetings anymore, but they feel so much more productive and generative. Like, oh, here's a joyful space for human beings to be together and um and create and it feels really entirely different and so i think this must be the magic of nature it must be and i think you know with covid there has to be some positive sides to it and maybe that's you know just getting outside more if we can if we're able to and do things like that that that's you know that's a positive 
because <laughs> we're not allowed to do anything else. So um, it's good. What else? T- give me. You've you've got pages and pages of um, um, of research. Are there other things that you ran across that you found to be, um, you know, interesting that that kind of sparked your fancy, um, or things just that you want to that you're hoping to learn more um, about. No, it kind of uh, reignited my interest in urban ecology again, because I guess that was my background. And, you know, the, this whole, uh, I think just this whole um, concept of nature is good for you, which has kind of sparked all these programs that we're doing. So, you know, I, I've just found it very enjoyable kind of going over the research. I, I kind of got inspired myself about the biophiliac design, partly because you asked me that this morning when I hadn't really researched it. So I hadn't, I looked it up and I thought, yeah, that's basically about bringing nature closer to people and doing that in creative ways whether it's in a school ground and you know or whether it's in a city center park or whether it's um you know just trying to get some more trees planted near buildings there's a whole there's tons of things that people can do and i think um you know there is a growing movement which is encouraging when i started out it was very much like what are you talking about nature in cities you must be mad it's all in the countryside and it's all in nature reserves and and people are trying to see nature in lots of different ways in their daily lives and it could be you know a bit of a, a plant growing out of a wall or it could be you know walking beside a river it can be a whole whole range of things and wherever you are whether you're on a remote island in Canada or on a or in a city center you can always find it if you look hard enough I used to be fascinated by plants growing out of pavement cracks you know there, there's and there's a whole movement now where people are you know doing graffiti writing the names of those plants on pavement uh, on paving slabs to say hey look there's some re- there's nature right here on your doorstep and you know it is around us we just need to look for it it's probably plantain now. We, it we, probably was plantain. <laughs> which we know because we had Yulia come in as part of the series and talk to us about different herbs. And she talked a lot about plantain and um, and its powerful benefits because of how it has to just sort of persevere, right? It has to dig down deep and, and find these nutrients. Yeah, and, and I guess nature's always trying to restore itself. It's trying to find those little places to grow. So, you know, it's, it's just how you look at it. I think that's what I learned is just looking at it, things slightly different rather than seeing a weed, seeing maybe, a, you know, a, a small herb or a plant growing and, and kind of, you know, you can get inspired by all sorts of things and you get quite creative when you live in a, you know, a big city doing that. And I do think this is another thing that we'll find that could be a benefit from this weird pandemic time is that as it's become more and more clear that um, that the virus is uh, way less transferable outside, um, that being in nature not only is healing, but it is um, way harder to uh, to contract it when you're outside. Um, the particles are are heavy so they don't stay they, they don't stay in the air um there's sort of at least where we are right our public health officials have just sort of encouraged us from the beginning get outside um you're safer outside you're healthier from being outside get your kids outside and i think you know we're so lucky because this is very easy to do here um because it's so easy to do and because we're just fortunate of having all this kind of built in distance bc has been very mildly hit relative to um much of the rest of the world and i i think like wow if this isn't a reminder of how we all need to have access to healthy safe outdoor spaces um and inviting outdoor spaces you know ev- you know not outdoor spaces that we can get to by walking that we don't need to drive to like where have we ever had such a you know global reminder 
yeah uh, yeah and hopefully you know hopefully some positive things do come out of covid and you know also that there's been lots of reports about nature returning to cities and suddenly appearing where it hasn't appeared before and even some of the bc parks which have been closed down suddenly some of the larger um animals are coming out much more so you know we can see our impacts on nature and um yes be you know maybe some good will come out of this you know we we need to be much kinder to the planet but you know from a from a, a wildlife point of view but also for ourselves you know we have that innate need and you know there's so much more we can be doing yeah yeah and i just love your reminder that you started with at the beginning right like we developed as part of nature we developed our eyes our minds our um our sense of smell as part of this and um and now we have to maybe remind ourselves <laughs> to get out there and stay and use its healing potential but um but we we are inherently made for this i think we are we definitely are and you know you, you just feel good if you go out and <laughs> in nature you know and we we are very lucky on cortez you can go down to a beach and you know i remember coming here on holiday that's how i came to cortez you know and and going to the beaches and my eyes popping out of my head because you know head because you know you could see mountains too and it was just stunning and now I live here so I'm very lucky but I also recognize that people are living in all sorts of, of places and, but you can still can't get get in touch with nature you can have it on your doorstep you may not realize it but it's there if you look so I think on that awesome note we can have a little time for some music some inspiring music um and you are listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Community Radio this is the time that makes community radio, community talk radio. And that involves you, neighbor. We'd love to hear from you. Please use this next, uh, we'll have about 15 minutes of music. Uh, maybe I'll stop it to remind you of the phone number and things like that. But this is a great time for you to call in. Call in and talk to us. Tell us about nature and your life and what you're seeing and is anything new this year? Are you seeing things coming back from this little pause time? Are you um, finding yourself uh, getting outdoors more, getting outdoors less? Tell stories about how things were when you were growing up. Um, or if you have questions for Helen Hall about the, her research on nature or about foci, which she'll talk a little bit more about after the break, call in and let us know. Or you can just call in and give me suggestions for future Folk University talk radio shows. I'm putting together our June schedule as we speak. So it's a wonderful time for me to hear from you. The phone number here is 250-935-0200. You can also email me at the letter U at folkU, also the letter, dot C-A. So you at F-O-L-K-U dot C-A. We will get a little bit of music time. And then I am excited to talk to you more. So don't forget to call in, folks. You're listening to Friday's Folk U Radio Talk. We have Helen Hall from Friends of Cortez Island here. And this is your chance to call in, 0200. Wait for it, it'll come 
first light of the dawn Wait for it, the morning sun
betray me. I will wake one day. Don't delay me. What I'd leave her always going.
Welcome back. You are listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio, on the web at cortezradio.ca. We are coming to the end of May, which means that we're also coming to the end of our month that we are doing as a partnership between the Folk You Talk Show and Friends of Cortez Island, Folk Eye. And this month has been Nature is Good for You. And I have been really lucky to have the executive director of Folk Eye here with me, Helen Hall, and <laughs> talking about how the research about how nature is actually good for you, what we know, what the science is telling us these days, and just also from our own experience. We were having one of those talks um, You may not be able to tell from my lack of uh, beautiful accent, but Helen and I are both um, immigrants to Canada. And so we were just talking a little bit more about the immigrant experience while we were on break. Um, And so, you know, this is yet another thing that you can call in sometime and talk to us about. Uh, (laughs) We are, I'll give you one more chance at least to call in a little bit later. But I thought we would take this part of the show to talk a little bit more about Friends of Cortez Island and some of the really awesome work that you guys have been doing, are doing. Um, People who've been listening have gotten little, you know, little hints during this whole month. Um, Last week, we had Autumn come in and talk about some of the species at risk um, work. We also did the Dawn Chorus earlier, and we learned more about the work that you guys do with the museum and archives around the bird count, um, just tracking species. Uh, I Now every time I see a new species, I'm like, oh, I'm wondering if I should call foci and let them know that I saw this thing. Um, so tell us a little bit more about what you're doing and, and when we should be calling you. Yes, um, you can call us anytime and tell us about any wildlife sightings you see. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we... Polka is doing a whole range of different projects. Um, like you say, we've been working on species at risk. We have a species at risk citizen science program where we have um, 16 species at risk. We ask people to report and that's on our website. And that's everything from the great blue heron through to the barn swallows, which are around right now. So if you see any, we'd love to hear from you. Um, we also run a range of other um, stewardship programs, everything from a marine stewardship program, which is largely run by Sabina Liedermens. And she does a she's done a fabulous a lot of work on the marine environment over the last 20 years or so and um i i was always amazed when i got the job as um friends of Cor- you know for, as executive director for friends of cortez that we had somebody who was going out diving and finding things underwater you know in the marine environment particularly coming from an urban background and so she's you know we have subtitle surveys that are going on through the winter months where sabina's looking at subtitle habitats and recording them we just started a fabulous new project this winter forage fish um, a survey project um, where we are, have been out on the beaches of Cortez digging up the sand and sifting through it to see if we can find um, eggs of forage fish. Now, forage fish, really interesting um, 
uh, that were a very valuable part of the food chain in the um, in marine environment, basically feeding everything else. And we discovered, you know, a couple of some of the beaches on Cortez are really important for forage fish. So, yeah, we're doing that kind of work, and we have the marine work we do. We also work with stream keepers, um, monitoring the salmon streams, and doing restoration work. As well as that, we've uh, been monitoring the lakes for a long time. We've had algal blooms on Hagen Gunflint lakes, and we're monitoring that and looking at ways of how we can actually um, uh, remediate that and and improve the lakes and encourage people to do their bit as well. Um, as well as that, we're managing, we actually have a contract with the SRD maintaining most of the regional parks. So that includes Quas and Carrington and also um, uh, Siskin Lane uh, and four beach accesses too. So we're, we're kind of in the background doing that all the time, trying to keep those parks open and maintained. So yeah, that's kind of, uh, in a nutshell some of the stewardship work we do we also do a lot of um, community education work and run a whole range of events and activities through the year um, over the summer months we run a summer events program we're not quite sure this summer how we're going to do that or if we can do that but we are looking into it so like I described before everything from gumboot in the lagoon which involves doing a low tide walk through to um, we've done a whole bunch of things through to nature photography workshops a whole whole range of different things and at the moment, we're very interested in engaging the community more and particularly where, they're li where they live and trying to encourage uh, everyone to be community stewards, to do their own thing for nature. Um, and whether that's, you know, planting trees on your property or maybe planting, um, you know, uh, wildflowers or, or whatever it is to enhance um, uh, Cortez as a whole. You know, everyone can con contribute their bit. And that's something we're starting to focus on a bit more. And I love the idea of citizen scientist. Um, it's always been, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe because it sort of goes in with the idea of, of folk university, right? That we have the skills um, in a community that we need and how do we enhance them and grow them so that we are each our own, um, you know, most knowledgeable uh, member that we can be as a citizen um, or as a scientist or as a you know an artist or as a person asking questions of any sort so I just love that you are really you know working the citizen science angle um, and so to talk a little bit about how different people in Cortez who want to be more involved could get involved you know this summer assuming that we're allowed to do anything you know what are some of the ways that um, you know a young person, for instance, might come and um, uh, <laughs> are they welcome to join in um, when you do gumbooting the lagoon and things like yeah, that? Yeah, on a, on a normal summer, I would be very encouraging and say we'd be running, you know, eight, nine, ten events throughout the summer where um, families, um, any anyone for, you know, young children, young people, anyone could come along and learn more about uh, nature on Cortez um, so in a normal summer I'd be saying yeah we've got a whole range of uh, lovely programs lined up this summer as I said we we're just not quite sure about that yet whether we might be able to run things with very small groups um, you know we're outdoors like we've been talking is a good place to be but we need to be very careful about it so we're, we're just thinking about that at the moment but yes being a citizen scientist is very important and you know, if we just had one biologist on this island looking for nature, we would only get a little bit of information. And the whole concept behind citizen science is you've got all those eyes and ears out there looking and watching. And 
you may not realize you're looking at some really interesting stuff right now we're really interested to hear about whether there's any herons nests on the island I'm, I'm guessing autumn talked about that last year last year last week um you know herons are really uh, under serious threat and we really like to know if there's any nests on cortez and last year we didn't record any and there used to be, you know, big um, heron rookeries on uh, on the island and they've disappeared. So, yeah, I think the main thing people can do, the simplest thing to say is to keep your eyes open and to um, see, you know, to tell us what you're seeing. And I know the museum is asking people to look for butterflies and they are around right now. They are beginning to be, you know, beginning to see something and and, you know, send that information into them and look on our website and you can find out more about the species at risk and, um uh, tell us about that we're also interested there's people interest very interested in the the humpback whales that are you know they, i've heard they're around hornby and denman island i'm not sure if they're up here yet but they're going to be heading our way and um again on our website you can find uh there's a citizen uh, a cetacean sightings network who want to hear about any whales and dolphins around the island so if you happen and it and you may think you're seeing them all the time if you're lucky but even so, they want to hear every about every sighting. So if you're on the beach and you see something, um, you know, please go onto our website and 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 let us know. And it's also, you know, that you're going to get some pleasure from doing that too. And it's friendsofcortez.org. That's correct. Friends of Cortez with an S. Dot org, And you don't have to j only live on Cortez to uh, check out that website. So you, Powell River, Quadra, and other listeners are all welcome, of course, as well. Um, and, you know, you might be the only tourist we're allowed to have this year. So <laughs> come on over or at least visit the website. Um and we, uh, yeah, and learn more and, and, and even potentially if it's marine things you might be able to report your sightings um it sounds like better safe than sorry so report if people are finding things yeah i think at the moment that's what i would say people can do most at the moment and we'd really appreciate that and as i say if we uh, figure out that we might be able to run an event then um, we'll obviously be advertising that and letting everyone know but we're like everyone else being very cautious and um, trying to figure out what may or may not work right now and is there an email on the uh, friendsofcortez.org website where people can um, go to report sightings? Yeah, basically report it on uh, friendsofcortez at gmail.com. Um, that's the easiest thing to do. Yeah, just go onto our website and you'll find all that information. Do you have like kind of an inspiring vision that you go back to when you think about Cortez and um, and nature? I mean, it's such a beautiful place. We have so much access to nature here. Um, and which I feel like doesn't mean that we should kind of uh, stop um, visioning uh, even more um, beautiful kind of integrated future. Uh, and particularly, you know, I was really touch last week when autumn was in and talking about some of the friends of cortez um island species at risk how many species on our own island are disappearing for instance the blue herons right have disappeared or are have disappeared everywhere in bc or you know in you know in canada except for here um and so I, you know, I feel like it's it's a good reminder that we can't just sort of be like, oh, things are are good enough, um, and forget to kind of keep 
visioning uh, a, you know, a future where things are even better. Talk to me about your vision. Oh, sorry. This is a bit. <laughs> Helen's like, I didn't know that question was coming. <laughs> I think, I think, I think, I, I think it's fairly simple, really. That you know, we do live on a fabulous island. It has got a whole range of different ecosystems on it. Everything from you know, fabulous, spectacular reef at the south tip of Cortez, through to these beaches with forage fish, through to large tracts of forest. You know, on it's not, it's not every island's got that. You know, we've got these large kind of fairly intact okay they may be second growth but you know or old uh, younger than that but there's still these large tracts of forest and we do have wolves and cougars uh, on the island and that's that's unusual too so we have i think to appreciate we do have a really special place and we need to work to keep it like that yes you know species are at risk they're they're at risk globally you know there's a ecological crisis out there and we, we yet we're on this beautiful gem of an island and we need to do a lot to care for that and need to plan for that and one thing we're starting to get interested in is doing some kind of conservation planning trying to find out you know over the years we have a lot of information about Cortez but we want to we want to kind of pull all that together and say hey you know what is it what are the most important places on this island and you know where are the wildlife corridors and look at how going forward we can protect those places um, for the future so in 10 years time you know we still have all these species and ecosystems here. I, I I love it. I feel like it's a, you know, it's a, it's, there's hope. I feel like Cortez gives a lot of, pe- of people hope because we still have these species. And if we have them, then, you know, maybe we will seed um, other areas and we can restore them, you know, many of these species to an even greater range, um, more like they once occupied okay this is another question that may put you on the spot so if it does we'll just move right on but i'm wondering do you know anything about the history of friends of cortez um and how like where i know this is probably not fair because helen like me is an immigrant so we have not been here forever um but and so if you're listening and you know the answer to this, this is a good reminder that you get to call in and share what you know. But do you, but I've always wondered where this you know awesome organization that is doing so many things came from. Well, actually, it's our 30th birthday this year. Um, so happy birthday. Friends of Cortez has been going for 30 years, which is pretty amazing. And, you know, we're benefiting from those people who set it up. And I think it was a group of islanders who set it up with, a, you know, they had their own vision and uh, I think they were dealing with, you know, I think there was a pulp mill uh, maybe in Powell River. I'm not sure this is where my history is a little bit rusty, but, you know, there were some concerns on the island about environmental impacts. And so they set it up with a great remit, which was to look after the ecological value of this island and also to educate people about it. And over the years, um, Friends of Cortez has done a whole range of projects. And, you know, that's largely down to some really great people who've been on the island and, Yes, the board's changed a lot, but, you know, we have done everything from, um, you know, as I say, the marine work that Sabina's been doing, which is pretty outstanding, um, through to managing our parks, getting parks designated and really trying to look after the island and run a whole range of different projects. I know we used to run a sustainability fair, apparently, where people could come and learn about all, you know, green buildings and what they can do. Um, So I think as an organization we've always tried to be based in the community um 
and you know that's something we want to continue to do as we go forward so yes that's in a nutshell and I'm sure somebody else knows a lot more about the history than me but there's a you know there's a lot I know there's a lot that's been done if you know the the you know other st- I, other stories about the founding, um, you are welcome to call in to the Folk You Talk Show at two five zero nine three five zero two zero zero, which is CKTZ eighty nine point five FM's Cortez Community Radio Station's phone number. Um, h- how are you worried about um? The future of of foci with with COVID. I know, like many organizations on Cortez, this summer is a time of of a lot of fundraising um, and a lot of fundraisers. Um, is this going to be a problem for 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 friends of Cortez Island? Yes, um, we've been trying to look at that and what the impacts are. I think everyone's been impacted in some. You know, businesses significantly impacted. We're we're definitely going to have impacts. You know, we've noticed some of the grants that we'd normally apply for have suddenly disappeared, and we also would you know would sell a lot of stuff at the markets at Cortez Day, and uh, you know I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. So we're 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 going to lose income there. Um, so yes, there's potential financial impacts, and you know. So if there's anybody out there, obviously I have to say this, you know, who wants to donate to Foci, we you can go onto our website and you can do it there. Um, but we hope, you know, we can keep our heads above water and we're looking uh, for creative ways of doing that. So we're hopeful, but we're also a little bit worried about the impacts, as, as I'm sure a lot of organisations and also businesses are right now. So, yeah, it's a challenging time. Um, you know, it's also a time where you know, we, we perhaps realised how important the planet is too. So, you know, it's kind of shaken us up a bit and made us think about refocusing a bit and really, you know, doing our best with the organisation and making sure it thrives into the future too. So, yes, there's some threats, but we're also trying to look at potential opportunities too. Um, I think that's well said, and I've been feeling that myself. Like, everyone is both sort of... Um, a lot of the social profits that I work with, I feel like people are both busier and also have had more space to kind of reach out to some of the other organizations and to each other and to kind of take a moment to assess, you know, what are the things that we're doing that we most, you know, care about, love, need to be doing. Um, So it's really awesome for instance that we have gotten to do we've you know managed a whole new partnership and bring this last month together so I feel really grateful for that um yes and me too and we never would have done this without COVID because suddenly we had to think about how could we get uh, some you know some uh programs going and and you know because we couldn't we couldn't organize anything outside because of the COVID but we could do it on the radio so it's been great Amanda working with you on this has been really good fun um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been it's so, you know, fantastic to there's no folk university without folk like you. So thank you uh, so much, Helen. We've had with us for the last hour and a half, Helen Hall from Friends of Cortez Island. They have a fantastic website that I've been spending more time on this last month and been so glad I have uh, Friends of Cortez Dot org, you can go and get podcasts from this entire month um, on that website. And this entire month has been dedicated to a partnership between FOCU and FOCI and CKTZ 89.5 FM called Nature is Good for You. So please do check that out. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you, Helen, for making this month happen um, and for coming into the studio and sitting uh, <laughs> six feet away where you don't get the good view um, and taking the time. Well, thank you, Amanda. It's been great. And um, yeah, we look forward to working with you again in the future. Yay, yay. <laughs> Maybe we'll even get to do things in person. So I am going to play for you a little bit more music. This is Another New World by Josh Ritter. Um, and it's a little bit of a reminder of why we don't want to just give up on the world that we have. Amongst themselves What I would do next After all that I'd found In my travels around the world Was there anything left Gentlemen I said I've studied the maps And if what I am thinking is right There's another new world At the top of the world For whoever can break through the ice I looked around the room that way I once had And I saw that they wanted belief So I said all I got Are my guts and my God Then I paused And the Annabelle Lee Oh, the Annabelle Lee I saw their eyes shine The most beautiful ship in the sea My Nina, my Pinta My Santa Maria My beautiful Annabelle Lee Spring I set sail The crowd way from shore And on board the crew with their hands But I never had family Just the Annabelle Lee So I'd never had cause to look back I just set the course north And I studied the charts And towards dark I drifted towards sleep And I dreamed of the fire Deep harbor I'd find Past the ice for my inability After that it got colder And the world got quiet It was never quite day or quite night And the sea turned the color of sky Turned the color of sea Turned the color of ice Till at last all around us Was fastness, one vast glassy desert Of arsenic white and the waves that once lifted us Sifted instead into drifts Against Annabelle's sides And the crew gathered closer At first for the comfort But each morning would bring a new set Of tracks in the snow Leading over the edge of the world Till I was the only one left And after that it gets cloudy 
But it feels like I lay there for days and maybe for months. But Annabelle held me, the two of us happy just to think back on all we had done. Chopped up a mainsail for timber. I told her of all that we still had to see. And as the frost turned to moorings to nine tail, and the wind lashed her sides in the cold, I burned her to keep me alive every night in the loving embrace of her hold. And I won't call it rescue. What brought me back here to? The old world to drink and decline, and pretend that the search for another new world was well worth the burning of mine. But sometimes at night, in my dreams comes the singing of some unknown tropical bird, and I smile in my sleep, thinking Annabelle Lee has finally made it to another new world. Yes, sometimes at night, in my dreams comes the singing of some unknown tropical bird, and I smile in my sleep, thinking Annabelle Lee has finally made it to another new world.
singing songs for everyone. Sit beside a mountain stream, see her waters rise. Listen to the pretty sound of music. She listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Community Radio and this is Folk University's Friday Folk U Talk Show. I um, was really excited to have Helen Hall earlier in from Friends of Cortez Island and now I am equally excited to have Maureen Williams who's usually in here in her doc- naturopathic doctor role. But today is in here to talk about something else that gets me really excited, which is compost. <laughs> um, so this is uh, this is this part of the show where I usually ask people what they are doing in their garden this week. And since we're talking about compost instead, I thought maybe you could start by talking to us about both what this composting initiative is that got me so excited and why it's going to help the many gardeners on the island. Nice. Well, I'm so glad that you're excited about compost because I'm excited about compost too. Compost compost is like a living organism almost. It's certainly made up of thousands and thousands of living organisms. And so compost, the reason that this compost kind of task force, we were initially calling ourselves the compost task force. And the way that we came about was that Nova had put out the word that, uh, that a, com- a, um, a garbage audit had showed that Cortez Island had a lot of compostables in its waste stream. 
it was kind of surprising and um, it was certainly surprising to the people who were in the room that night and there were there were three of us then that decided that we would you know we would take on her call to um, to do something to encourage more composting on the island so that we weren't putting so much organic matter into the trash so um, so the first thing we did was we got a hold of the garbage audit, which it turns out was done in 2017. So it's a little bit old for sure. Um, but there were a few things that were really noteworthy. One was that it was done in the fall. So at first we thought, oh, it was probably all those summer people who don't compost. But in fact, it was done between uh, September and November of 2017. And what they did, it wasn't just Cortez Island, of course, it was the whole SRD and the Comox Valley. They looked at garbage samples from all the different regions. And from our region, over a period of two weeks, they audited our garbage three times. And what they determined was that almost half of our, the garbage that they were looking at was organic material. And that means it was food scraps and perhaps yard waste and uh, and a small portion was probably some kind of compostable paper like napkins and, and tissues and things like that. Um, so 49% of our garbage was made up of this stuff. Um, meanwhile, there are two reasons why that's really that's a really bad thing. One is that it means that, that that's going in the landfill, uh, which has all kinds of problems. It, it uh, decomposes anaerobically in the landfill, so uh, produces a lot of methane. It's a huge source of methane in the world, so uh, getting uh, organics out of the trash is a really good thing for, for greenhouse gases. Um, and then another reason is just if half of our trash could be staying on the island, well, that would be a huge savings in terms of hauling fees. Uh, so that's, that's a, those are good reasons to keep it out of the trash. Uh, and then the reason, the another, you know, the other really important reason for keeping it here is that it's so good for our soil. And so for those of us who have gardens, compost, properly made compost can be a great amendment. In fact, as Whitney Vanderleest, who's part of our group, as she has told me confidently again and again, compost is the only thing you need to uh, to amend your garden. It's the only thing you need to grow food. You don't need manure. You don't need fertilizers. If you have good compost, that's all you need. So doing compost right is really what we're about. And getting people doing composting, even if they aren't going to use it in their garden, is something that we want to encourage. And th I, this is like a really good time for me to do a plug of past Folk University Folk U talk shows because we had Whitney who came and did an entire segment and it's perhaps one of the most popular ones we've ever done um, on how to use whatever you have around your home to make your own soil and talk about someone who com just completely will inspire you, whoever you are, neighbor, to start composting and to start like not just composting veggies. Oh no, there is nothing organic that you cannot figure out how to turn into soil 
if you listen to Whitney's talk, which is on CKTZ, Cortez Radio's website at cortezradio.ca and on cortezcurrents.ca. So go back and listen to that episode and get ready to be inspired. Uh, I'm sorry to to uh, to, <laughs> to take from, <laughs> from your talk, but yeah, it was one of the most informative. I mean, they're all so, so yeah, informative, yeah. but she was amazing. She is amazing. She certainly has a lot of experience in permaculture, and uh, she's a really, you know, she's really keen to get us doing this better. And she's also going to be, I'm sure she mentioned she wants to start a business selling permaculture um, stuff. And I know one of the things she's interested in doing is teaching people how to keep worms and how to um, collect worm castings, which is another great soil amendment part and a great part of your of compost so and it also so i feel like so we basically just talked about why do we want to keep our waste um out our our organic waste out of the uh waste stream um and one of those reasons is because of the heavy methane um that comes when organic wastes end up in an anaerobic situation um you know also, like we don't want to spend the uh, the money and the fuel to cart these things off island. I've heard that our our landfill where our waste goes on Vancouver Island um, is full, so they are in the process of of also spending our tax money to build a new landfill because we have filled up that one. And based on this SRD survey, that would probably be nearly half full of organic matter. Um, so, you know, all around from an ecological and financial perspective, we don't want to continue to ship this stuff off. But we also bring a lot of soil onto the island as someone who who has paid money to bring soil onto the island more than once because I live on a rock. Um, I... I now I'm just hungry <laughs> for more material that will turn into soil, which gets us to um, this. And so, you know, fantastic. I hope that you are making your own soil at your own home. But many, many, many of you are not. So if you are not and you're not going to start just yet, what? can you maybe do with it? Tell us about this new initiative um, that the composting trio are undertaking. Yeah, so um, so we were trying to come up with ideas for how we could get people, how we could um, in- incentivize people to try to get, you know, try to get them to do something better with their organic matter. And we decided that for some people, the easiest way to get them to compost is to encourage them to take their compost to their neighbor's compost pile. So, uh, so this was the initiative that Kate Madigan is is um, championing, and she is trying to connect people who are really comfortable composting and know exactly what they want to have in their compost pile, how to use it, and how to how to maintain it. 
uh, she wants to connect those people with people who either don't have very much compostable material or, or don't have a compost bin or don't have an interest in producing compost for their own use or, or for some other reason. So, um, so that's what she wants to do is to get, connect those people. And that, that we figure is going to take care of a fair number of people. Like we're thinking that there are a lot of people out there who maybe don't produce very much vegetable material or fruit material. And so they don't think they have enough to make a compost. Um, so that would be a really good opportunity for them to put their organic stuff in a better place than in the garbage pail. Um, so and we're we're imagining that through this process we're all going also going to be helping neighbors get to know each other a little bit too. So I know that some people who have compost bins are really careful with what goes in them and so we're hoping that we can help them uh connect with their neighbors still and be able to maintain some kind of control over what's going in their own compost bin. So we've heard from uh, from some people who don't like to have citrus peels in their compost because it slows down. Is They're very acid and they tend to slow down the decomposition process. So for people who really want a hot compost pile, they probably don't want citrus peels in their compost. We eat a lot of citrus in our house and we throw all the peels in the compost and it, eventually they break down and all as well. Eventually everything breaks down. So, you know, so pretty much anything, as Whitney has told you, pretty much anything can be composted. It's just a matter of how fast you want to use it and how fast you want it to be, yeah, breaking down. So citrus peels is one example. Some people use wood ash in their compost. Other people don't like too much wood ash because that's too alkaline. Um, and then, uh, of course, some people have a capacity to compost meat and dairy products and things like that. And other people don't have that capacity. So it's a little bit of, it's going to be a little bit of tweaking. And then there's the issue of yard waste. And we were reminded by Tamara McPhail over at Linnea that, um, that it's really important to manage um, invasives. So if you have things like morning glory in your garden or buttercup, those aren't things you want going in a compost pile unless it's really carefully maintained so that it's hot enough to kill the seeds from those plants so that they don't propagate further you know they're incredibly persistent um, we have both in our garden so uh, incredibly persistent I can vouch for that um, and I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't take a, a seedling out of my garden and give it to anyone because especially the, the morning glory is such a curse so um so anyway being being really careful with yard waste as well making sure that if we're going to share yard waste with neighbors that we're doing it carefully and that they know what they're doing with the with that waste that's such a good reminder because i i one of the people who was like yes i want everybody's compost i'll take anything um and but but now I, I'm going to say I'm going to take everything but yard waste <laughs> because I'm really lucky to not have um, a lot of those kind of invasives. Not that I don't I, I have bamboo. So if you want to listen to a very long diatribe about the evils of bamboo, which most people don't want to listen to, therefore I won't go into it. <laughs> you can ask me though if you do um okay so that's wonderful so we're gonna 
organize it such that people can be as particular or not particular as they want i love the 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 folk solution aspect of it and this also goes along with something that is simultaneously happening which will make this easier on the island which are these neighborhood groups which are trying to form to make it easier for neighbors to share things like compost with each other but also maybe then to share you know, eggs, if they're raising chickens. Um, that's another thing that I'm raising that takes a lot of compost. There are some people on the island who are raising pigs, which are great compost eaters. Um, and one of the other things that Whitney taught us during that, um, that Folk You Friday show, so go and listen to it if you missed it, um, is one, how to make your own DIY rat-proof composter. Um, some tips in case you get rats in your in your composter that you have at home and you want to try to get rid of them. The tip is basically to pee on it. Uh, so that's a little preview, but she has some more sophisticated things. And then um, the other thing that she talked about was ways to turn uh, bones and things like that into biochar, which both is a fantastic way to absorb nutrients from your compost pile to put into your soil um, more directly, but also to um, you know help with compost to help bring the stink down. Say if you are do have a chicken run, things like that, um, and a great th- way to use bones. So you can make biochar out of those animal bones, which a lot of people don't put in their composter. I don't really have problems with them in mine. Um, but, you know, it may means some people are reluctant to compost because they're worried about these things, of which she reminded us there are many, many solutions. Um, at your home, do you worry about rodents and things like that in your compost or not really oh yeah uh, well i don't know if we worry i mean we live with rats there surely are rats around we see evidence of them yeah regularly you know from time to time let's say um and i i don't know about the peeing in the compost pile because we have certainly had rats in our outhouse and they seem plum happy to be there so i don't know i find the best solution for keeping rats out of the compost is is um hard work cloth which is just that metal screen uh it might be eighth inch i don't know and then it just we cut out little pieces of it and patch up anywhere that they've chewed through and that you know they keep occasionally they get in we put another we put another patch on we have one of those black composters you know those big cone shaped ones it's um we just got at the compost education center in victoria many many years ago we've had it for decades and um, and it works great, but they do chew through it occasionally, and we just attach another piece of hardware cloth when that happens. The other thing that works great is trapping. It's not We don't usually have more than one rat living in the compost at a time, so if we need to trap, we'll do that too. We've had very little issue. We have every I mean, I feel like we have almost every kind of composter <laughs> that you could want, and mostly what I use is just the sort of kind of, you know, relatively lazy man's composter where you make it out of um uh what are those things called the you know the wooden crate pallets pallets, yes um with the wooden pallets and doesn't even have top on it and um and so it's not a very high maintenance composter um and i it's not that we never have rats on our property it's just that they're so much more interested in like the chicken run um 
And we do have cats, which have really helped us. So uh, I have also have two of the black bins, um, and I have found them to be quite uh, good for keeping away rats. Um, and we don't, even if we don't have like the very nice new ones. So um, it's not been a huge issue you know, for us, but I know it's a big issue for some people. So I think this is wonderful. One, for people to know that you can have a backyard completely, you know, folk (laughs) solution, but that there's also like neighbors there who want, I want your compost. Mm -hmm. I'm going to advertise myself first and foremost, which I've already told Kate. (laughs) She has me signed up. (laughs) Yeah. The other thing that you're doing is feeding your chickens right Mm -hmm. and so if you're willing to take table scraps for your chickens and there again you might have some specific requirements i know mike manson told me he doesn't want his chickens eating tea bags for example so you might have some specific requirements if one of your neighbors wants to contribute to your chicken food chickens are great at making soil amendment of course so that's another great way to get rid of your food scraps Yes, yeah, absolutely. I highly recommend it. I know I um I just got uh some more chickens um from Blue Jay Lake and I saw a lot of my neighbors getting chickens. So <laughs> you neighbor might want to get somebody else's compost too, not just for your composter, but for your chickens who will eat them and basically poo out fertilizer Mm -hmm. it is a wonderful full cycle (laughs) um so once again if people are ready to give away their compost or sign up to receive somebody else's with as many rules as you want to put on that what do they do they have to contact kate and i'm sorry i didn't bring her phone number but she put her phone number in her tideline post okay and i believe she also her email is also attached to her tideline post so Kate's the the point person on that project. Um, And I do happen to somewhere here have um, Kate's uh, phone number. I'm going to look for that. And you're going to tell us what, if just in case you're listening and you're in Powell River, you're probably not going to participate in this, but maybe you're going to get really excited and you're going to decide to do something similar in your own community. What's Tideline? What's Tideline? <laughs> I know this is, <laughs> we're all laughing uh, because we know. Is it, it CortezIsland.org? Yeah. It's just a website. Oh, wait. Is it CortezIsland.com? I think. .com. It's a community website where we post all kinds of news and we have a little classified section and people post photos and it's a wonderful community resource and everything we need to know about what's happening on Cortez Island is going to end up on the Tideline in one fashion or another. Okay, and now I'm giving over the air Kate's phone number. I hope this is not one of those things that, okay, you know the area code. How's that? The area code is secret, and you know it because it's the same as yours. And then it's 202-4319. Get signed up or go to Tideline, and you can contact her through that. And you, too, can receive free um, free component to future soil, <laughs> free chicken food, or you can receive a free receiver of your <laughs> of your compost and not have to send that off island or into our dump um, and waste your taxpayer money that way. 
Yeah, and I will say the other thing is people have all kinds of reasons why they don't compost, as it turns out. In addition to vermin, some people don't like having stinky, you know, compost bucket right there in the kitchen. And um, and some people worry about what's going in the compost bin, and they, they don't know if they're going to be able to keep the balance right, and that kind of thing. So people have all kinds of reasons for not composting. And if you have a question or a concern about uh, about composting, or if you're wondering, what should I do with my meat scraps? I've got my neighbor who's willing to take my vegetable scraps, but I don't know what to do with my meat and bones. You know, if you would contact uh, me, that would be, or, or Kate or Whitney, that would be great because then we can direct our educational efforts towards helping people to uh, answer those kinds of questions and understand and feel really comfortable about keeping their organic material at home. And clearly this can be a whole nother folk you because I think because people get so excited about it. it's not just me, folks, just in case you think it's only me. <laughs> this once again one of the most popular shows uh, we have ever had uh, in our long history of two months. (laughs) I can't wait to go back and listen to Whitney's. I missed it. So I'm going to go listen. Um, Yeah, it it was wonderful and super inspiring. And I learned a lot. You will learn a lot. Um, And I think it is a wonderful uh, tool for future um, shows and future educational opportunities. I just heard a very generous uh, offer from Maureen to help inspire you right through it. So reach out. That's what neighbors are for. Mm-hmm. That's why we have each other. Mm-hmm. So how do they reach out to you? Oh, I have an email, which is mwilliamsnd, M as in Maureen Williams, nd, as in that's my profession, naturopathic doctor, at shaw, S-H-A-W dot C-A. Wonderful. And you can always send your questions, um, comments, everything else to me at, which is the letter U at folku.ca, F-O-L-K-U.ca. Um, so tell us what you think about the show. Tell us what you'd like to hear about in the future. Thank you so much, neighbor, for showing up today for this wonderful series on nature is good for you and to get inspired about being a neighborhood, a community that composts, that makes its own soil, that makes its own food and that does not send, you know, so much garbage off the island. I feel like if we can, you know, if we can just do this, it feels like all is possible. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Maureen, for coming off your little (laughs) rock down here to the station to... 